0: Hello and welcome to Misbehave, the podcast where we explore human behaviour in a business context. Season two of Misbehave is all about uncovering behavioural patterns which create success in life and business. We're joined by highly driven, accomplished individuals to assess their behavioural patterns and dive into how behaviours have influenced their journey. This episode features Ala Uvarova, co-founder and CEO at Two Chicks. From introducing egg whites to the UK market to now being the brand of choice in every supermarket, we talk about their go-big aspirations and the structure behind building a first-to-market success story into a multi-million pound enterprise. Ala shares everything from the product concept to the infrastructure for scale to her own vulnerabilities and the co-founder's passion for inspiring the next generation of women. Well, Welcome Ala and thank you so much for joining us. For the listeners, can you give us as an intro a little summary of your journey with Two Chicks, where the business came from, where it started and then where you are now?
1: Good afternoon. Um, Thank you very much for having me on. So we started Two Chicks back in 2007. My business partner, she was my friend at the time. She'd been living in LA and found egg white, used it every day, came back to London, couldn't find it. She thought there'd be a gap in the market. So we got together and Two Chicks was born. (laughs) So we, um, yeah, we read the business plan, got a little bit of funding. We launched into Selfridges. And from there, we went into you know other retailers one by one into Waitrose and Sainsbury's and Tesco. Uh, We're now stocked in pretty much every UK supermarket. We also sell in the Netherlands and in the UAE, um, France and Belgium as well. Wow, she makes
2: that sound so so easy, so (laughs) simple. (laughs) (laughs) yeah we we got into selfridges you know as you do
0: (laughs) and I think that piece that you mentioned there about a little bit of investment I know when we sort of did a pre-call I think that's interesting for us to talk a little bit about because I think the retail industry in particular can be tricky from a cash flow perspective you know we know we've got a product that we're launching into retail and sometimes you don't get big orders and then cash flow can be tricky so talk to us a little bit about that because i know that you you didn't have much investment did you and you kind of went for different rounds of investment and didn't get some so you've managed to scale this business pretty organically talk us through that yes. a little bit
1: so well you know we wrote the business plan and we we wanted to, to raise 250 pounds we wanted to have an office and we wanted to take salaries and we wanted to pay you know a design agency in the end we couldn't raise the money and you know We kind of thought it was because we were young, we didn't have experience, but we've since learned that women founders get very little of funding that's available, and, you know, that was us being part of that statistic, really. So, But we were so determined, and we knew that Egwap would work in the UK, so we went back, and I kind of stripped everything out of the financial model, and I knew we needed just £25,000 in order to be able to get started. So a family friend gave us the 25000 and that enabled us to, you know, design the packaging, print the packaging and get onto the supermarket shelves. And
2: did either of you have any background in this? Like, what was your background before that, Ella? Because obviously you had someone had an idea, you saw a gap in the marketplace because it was working in, in you know, in America. Did did either of you have experience in, in, in this particular sector?
1: We had no experience whatsoever, and funnily <laughs> enough, Anna had just finished her journalism master's and never, ever thought about starting a business. I had done an economics degree, and my my kind of idea was always to go into finance, to go into banking. But I think, yeah, probably I was quite entrepreneurial because I was working, writing a couple of business plans on the side. So when Anna had this idea, I mean, it worked really well because she had the English degree, her first degree was English, mine was economics. So she did the writing, I did the financial modelling, but no, completely zero experience.
0: And I think it's really interesting when you talk about going into finance, because actually what your patterns tell us is, you probably got a strength for numbers, which is kind of what you're talking about. But actually... Your high vision, like more choices than process, don't love a lot of detail, like to just get started in the traditional banking and finance world. You probably wouldn't have been very happy is what your map now tells us. So it's interesting that you'd already started to feel that you had some of those entrepreneurial traits mm. coming through, even mm. though you'd thought about a different path.
1: Yeah, I guess it's just not something, you know, I, I mean, I moved to London when I was nine years old. And I grew up here and I just kind of, yeah, I was, I guess I was following the traditional route in my mind. Yeah. You know, starting a business isn't something that I guess I'd considered, but yeah, I'm pleased now. I'm so pleased. I'm so pleased and I didn't get into that career in finance because I would have, I would never have left a good job probably to start a business. Yeah. So now I'm much, much happier doing this.
2: It's such a beautiful story though. Like someone can come over, have a conversation with a friend saying, I think there's a there's a gap. I can't buy it here. And you know, and then off you went to to fill that gap, which is 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 real entrepreneurship, I think, you know, and taking those risks. Have you got any advice? I mean, you've obviously gone through this journey. Have you got any advice to any business owners who might be listening, who are either launching their first product or people who maybe are thinking about starting their own business, a product led business? What what bits of advice could you give them, Ale?
1: Well, you know, um, we actually set up our Future months Entrepreneur Initiative a year ago. So we've been doing quite a lot um, in this space, trying to inspire entrepreneurialism. So yeah, I've got plenty of advice, but my main one is just to keep going. You know, you have to, it's a lot of hard work, but if you believe in your idea, you have to keep going and, you know, just don't take no for an answer And yeah, be prepared for knockbacks, be prepared for setbacks. But as long as, you know, you really want to get there, you will.
0: And I'm interested to dig a little bit into, because launching a product full stop is tricky, right? But actually... Being the first to market. Now we know that, you know, you've got you've got 75% difference in your behavioral math. That tells us that you like a bit of disruption. Yeah, high innovator. So actually being first to market for you probably wasn't that daunting. It was probably quite exciting. But we know through our business, you know, we were talking about culture years ago when people didn't really know what that word was. And that was tricky for us because we were having to do a lot of education. I think there's almost an easy ease if you're in a market where there's other products like yours because the education piece has already been done. What challenges did you have that you think were specifically to do with you being first to market with a product of your kind in the UK and in Europe. Did you come across some challenges where you had to almost educate people about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we had to educate on every single level. <laughs> we had to, first of all, explain to the buyers what is egg white, why they, you know, why they would want to have it in their stores. We had to educate the consumers why they would want to buy it you know, and there was just every step of the way and the, the staff. So say, you know, when we launched say, into Sainsbury's and there'll be a newspaper article talking about it, people go into Sainsbury's to look for our product and the staff tell them we don't have this because they did, they weren't aware. So it was kind of every step of the way. Um, but I'll, I'll say this, um, being the first to market is also sometimes in a way easier because. Well, especially in the food and the supermarkets, there are so many products in every single category, for instance, snacking. So sometimes it's actually harder to break through. And when you have something new and innovative, it's almost easier. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose
2: it's the timing of it, isn't it? Because you launched, I mean, I was a, was a, a buyer of your product a long time ago when it first was launched. And I remember... Um, trying to find it actually on the shelves like I was looking for it and I didn't know whether it was going to be near eggs or whether it was going to be in the refrigerator section and like and but I think the timing of it came when people were starting to make more conscious decisions about the things they were putting in their body the like what how important was the timing of the launch of that for you guys
1: yeah I think you're absolutely right there Sarah because um it was, it was a good time because just then there was starting to mention egg white omelets in magazines. So, you know, this was 16 years ago now, even, you know, when we first started working on the business plan, it was actually 17 years ago and there was before social media. So we had magazines and newspapers <laughs> and, yeah, there were, you know, celebrities were having egg white omelets and you couldn't buy them. So I think that really helped. And I think there had been some companies who had tried to launch egg white before us and it didn't work and we came along at the right time really
0: yeah and that's an interesting it's an interesting piece that we see with a lot of businesses where there's there's a lot of hard work and a lot of strategy but there's also just a bit of luck from a timing perspective sometimes that actually you can't control the market conditions right so when that Mm -hmm. happens and that aligns it just helps propel you quicker potentially yeah I'm interested to dig in a little bit because you're in a space and you know you quite openly talk about this you're in a space with lots of big players lots of big retailers that operate but in a lot of instances, a lot of culprits, but yet you've kept a really lean team. And I'm interested to dig into that because that's quite unusual. And I think a lot of people start in a business or the early stages of business think that to scale, you have to consistently add overhead. And usually that's people. And you're now into the multi-millions in terms of revenue, but with only three full-time staff and a lot of then freelancers and um, partners around you in different industries. And you talked, you know, you and I talked a little bit about you surrounding yourself with really experienced partners in different places, but they not necessarily been employees. Talk us through that a little bit and that thought process around, was that designed? Was it sort of something that evolved?
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of evolved. So, you know, um, yeah, at the beginning when we started on £25,000, we obviously couldn't afford to pay anyone. So we had to do everything ourselves. But when it got, you know, when the business grew and it was time to hire people, we just found a way to outsource this. And that just works really, really well for us. So there are a lot of people actually who work, you know, in our business on the day-to-day, you know, the day-to-day running of the business. They're just not in our office. They're in a different office. (laughs) It just works really well for us because we're able to tap into special resources for various things, you know, rather than having an accountant and, um, I don't know, financial planner. uh, We have, we can tap into them, in, the, in an outsourced facility,
0: I'm so interested in the thought process behind launching in a Selfridges because yeah. you've got this product, right, that you're talking about now being in, you know, all of the different supermarkets. And you would almost, from the outside in, think about it sitting maybe more with a s- sort of mainstream supermarket. What was the thought process behind Selfridges? Was that intentional, Ella, or did that come from relationships, connections, or things that happened?
1: Hmm. Uh, no, we had a little bit of advice actually from a food broker and he advised us that we should go high-end because it was a new yeah. and innovative product. You kind of start high-end. And so we went to Selfridges, Harvey Nichols and Harrods because we wanted to start on one of those. In the end, we decided to start in Selfridges because it was the biggest kind of food hall with the you know, biggest footfall. So, so that was the thought process behind that. And what we did is we logged the sales and then we took them to the next waitress, Sainsbury's, etc.
2: You know, we looked at your behavioral patterns. You obviously got a big piece around liking change. So you said earlier you've had this business sort of from concept about 16, 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. How have you managed to stay sort of motivated in a business that you've been in for a long time? I know you've launched Future Female Entrepreneur, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But how, how have you managed to stay interested in the business and how that's evolved in your role in?
1: that yeah you know it's funny sometimes I can't believe how long it's been um it's (laughs) been been kind of you know growth so we were slowly getting into all the retailers and you know when you get into a retailer you might get 10 stores 50 stores but eventually you build up to a thousand stores so there's always growth we've been you know getting customers internationally yeah you know trying to launch new products some have worked some haven't worked of course, I've had my personal life in the background to, you know, distract me and keep me interested. You know, I've been married twice, had two children in the last <laughs> 15 years, but divorced twice. So my marriages haven't worked out, but my, my business partnership is very long. That relationship standing. has been stronger. <laughs> yeah. And it's that's interesting, isn't it?
0: Because sometimes like as we talk about change, as you go through change across your life, Mm. If you've had big pieces of change in different areas, there's only so much change that even when you've got a big piece there, and I know yeah. you, you talked about innovating, you're innovating new products and doing other things and looking at new markets for some of that stuff, but yeah, you can only, it only take
2: so much at any one time. I'm interested to share that with the listeners because often people feel like they have to start new businesses in order to almost itch the scratch. Yeah. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's scratch the itch. <laughs> I don't know. he's just
0: invented a new thing. I think I've just invented Scratched a new, yeah, whatever. <laughs>
2: but to, to fulfill that piece in them. But actually sometimes the the growth journey of your business and by Joe, yours has been a journey. You know, you've got, you've expanded into different, different um, supermarkets, but also then in different countries. And I think... Mm sometimes that piece can feed you enough without you having to always be distracted by starting a new business or when you having a brand new product all the time. And we do hear a lot of entrepreneurs get distracted very easily and therefore Mm. sometimes can take their eye off the ball. And that is Mm. it's a big lesson. And we've definitely had other guests on, Anna, where that has been a challenge for them. So tell us a little bit about this future female entrepreneur empowerment piece that you've, you and um, Anna have set up.
1: Yeah, so um, so it was actually during COVID, um, during the lockdown, where we set up the Two Jigs Empowerment Fund. And, you know, we wanted to give back and we had a bit of time to kind of, you know, during the lockdown, not that it was a very easy time at all, we were very busy at home with two children. But anyway, we started working with a couple of schools and we were helping them. We were, you know, coming up with some sort of initiatives on mental health. And then we decided that really our skill set lies in entrepreneurialism. And so we came up with Future Female Entrepreneur just over a year ago now. Um, and it's been it's been so, so interesting doing it. We've had such an amazing feedback from everyone, really. We we started off with, with a mentoring initiative. So we got the girls from universities to apply. We set the age range from 18 to 24 initially. So we got the girls to apply for a chance to spend a day with a female entrepreneur. And we, you know, we asked the women to take part and we matched the girls to the founders. So that was really good. That went really well. We did another initiative online a few months after that. And then this year we've kind of expanded on the offering. So we started doing monthly networking events. And again, we've had such amazing kind of feedback. So we've had so many companies offer to host the events for us. So NatWest held their pitching competition for us. We called it the Two Chicks Den. Fantastic. Um, yeah, we just did a, we did a big event, event with Farinco at the beginning of June where we had a panel of five incredible businesswomen, you know, including Melissa Odebash, Annabella Chan, Sarah Chapman. We just did an event last week with Hayes McIntyre. So it's been really good and we've had some really good results with, you know, one girl has got a full-time job. Some of the girls who are matched for an initial, you know, mentoring, like one day mentoring, they've gone on to have further work. We've taken on two of the girls from our pool to work with us. So it's been really, really good. And we're just now going to take some time over the summer to work out the next steps and how best we can, you know, benefit and maximize their impact. And we're going to continue from September. We're going to continue with their monthly networking events. And yeah, we've got some more big plans for 2024.
0: That's amazing. And we talked a lot about, we talk a lot about purpose in our business and we've actually had some other podcast guests that really believe in that purpose piece and how having a purpose bigger than just growing your business and the profit in your business, right, makes the work more meaningful. Talk us through a little bit around what that conversation or conversations maybe looked like between you and Anna before you guys set up the Two Chicks Empowerment Fund. Where did that sort of start from and where where did that piece of, you know what, we've got to do something here that gives back outside of just grow this business?
1: Um you know I don't, it's something that we've always wanted to do because um because the way two chicks is run we you know we're not in charge of the manufacturing or the packaging materials but we're very conscious of giving back and ESG and CSR and all that so this was kind of our way of doing it um and I'd gone back to my university I'd gone back to my old secondary school I'd gone to talk to like a primary school and had really good feedback so it was kind of that Um, and then I really got into meditation and all this kind of journaling and that really, really helped me. And I thought how, you know, but I was kind of coming up to 40 and I thought, Oh God, if only I knew this when I was 18, how much Mm -hmm. better it would have been. So that's when this empowerment fund idea kind of happened. And I'm still really interested in all of this, but you know, you can't do everything. (laughs) Um, well, it
2: sounds like you're doing an awful lot yeah, uh, juggling, (laughs) uh, children and work and setting up a, a fund and, and doing the activity you are. And I think, you know, we, we meet lots of really interesting people and often their journey takes them through a, a point where, like you say, they get to a point where they think, gosh, if I could have only known this earlier, mm. and that leads us on to a question I wanted to ask you. What's, what is one thing that you wished you'd known earlier in your journey that you now know? Mm.
1: Um, you know, I have been asked this recently and it's really, it's a really difficult one because it's not like I would have done anything differently in the, in terms of the business. But I think just for me, from my personal perspective, I definitely wish I had a bit more calm, <laughs> a bit of less anxiety. <laughs> and this is where the meditation and the journaling and all this type of stuff comes in. My plan is to teach my daughter, I bought her journal already, um, you know, to, plan to teach her early on to journal to meditate and that sort of stuff
0: yeah I love that and I think that is often a challenge of someone who's got some of the patterns that you've got and I am the same Sarah has a lot of those as well and that piece around you know when you're highly action oriented and you're sort of on to the next on to the next on to the next Mm. and you live your life at pace That ability to slow down is way more Mm. tricky because you've got to almost build these intentional pauses in. So, I think the fact that you've almost identified that and it's a skill that you want to pass on to your daughter, I think is lovely because she's probably picked up some of your traits. Mm. And so, actually building that in where she can have all the amazing things of being highly action and goal driven, but also have those moments of reflection, I think is really important. How do you know when? You need to do more of that downtime and that reflection time. Aloe, is there anything that you sort of feel in yourself that you're almost like, okay, now I just need to press pause for a minute?
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I do get that, but I just don't really have time to press pause very often (laughs) at all. And I just know I feel so good if I go to yoga because I love my gym and I need to go to the gym five times a week, but if I have one spare hour i just need yoga at least once a week you know and of course we're not normally and a lot of us and they you know would have a drink trying to cut that out and in fact i haven't had a drink for a couple of months so yeah i think the drinking you know you think it's relaxing but really to be honest it just makes things
2: worse you're literally putting us all to shame five times a week at the gym (laughs) and she hasn't had a drink for two months and she runs a really successful (laughs) business that's in every
0: supermarket i mean i don't know
2: what is, what is one thing that you wish um, people knew about you? What's one thing maybe people don't, don't realize behind closed doors about you?
1: I don't really know if anyone knows much about me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I think I'm doing a lot more now, you know, within doing FFE, doing a lot more talking kind of, um, so now I'm really enjoying this piece. And I, I guess that's kind of the next chapter. Yeah. Looking at your patterns. This is definitely something that is
2: potentially, you know, as you go through your journey, you end up like looking for new ways of challenging yourself, but also you're having to put yourself out there. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of people that we work with uh, before they never had to do, you know, talks and and getting up and speaking and even podcasts and things. And, And I think Being open to sharing some of the, some of the lessons learned and some of the tricky experiences and, and being vulnerable with that is so it's endearing and people do connect with you, but it is quite tricky to do, isn't it? Where, um, you have to sort of be more open about, about who you are.
1: Yeah. No, it's true. And I definitely struggle with public speaking. It's, you know, I'm just not used to it and I do get really nervous um, it's getting better. And I did actually have a little bit of help, a bit of coaching because I thought if I'm going to keep doing this, I've got to do it right. But also massively got imposter syndrome suddenly because people are coming to me and asking me for ideas and for help. And I'm like, well, what gives me the authority to help and advise? But it's, it's just that you're know, stepping into the next phase, really.
0: 100%. And that's really interesting. And I think probably really inspirational for the, the younger girls that you're bringing through FFA as well, that actually you can be someone who has scaled a very successful business and not only scaled a very successful business, but sustained that scalability and that growth over a long period of time. But it just goes to show that nobody is immune to imposter syndrome you know it doesn't matter what you've done what you've achieved that still comes and with every level of growth the imposter syndrome is still there and it's still a work in progress for all of it everyone
2: just to just to wrap up have you got um any sort of favorite parts to your journey what's been some of the highlights to date Allah, for you
1: Oh gosh, there have been so many, to be honest. I mean, at the beginning, it was really amazing to find the manufacturer. We still work, you know, our main manufacturer, we still work with to this day. We're like really good friends. So that was great. I mean, getting to the multiples was a great highlights. I mean, there have also been as many challenges as there have been highlights. It's not. I mean, I think it's a good space now for women, for women in business. There's, you know, more and more networks for women. So that's just really nice to be a part of a network where you can talk to other women and, you know, get help and advice.
0: And have the space where you can be vulnerable with, you know, this is the bit that I don't know and ask for help. I mean, that's been a massive part of our journeys and a big motivator for us and the female led stuff that we do is almost create a of like-minded women that you can reach out to and have those open conversations. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We have really loved talking to you and hearing more about your journey and we will keep our eyes peeled for all of the things that come next for you for both sides of the business.
1: Thank
0: you. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thank, Thank you, Anna. Let's wrap up with some takeaways from Allah's episode. We talked first around the thought process of launching big first. So they started with the goal of Harrods, Harvey Nichols and Selfridges, and then to go out and get other retailers after they proved that first, which is just an interesting concept to think about businesses, maybe launching products or services onto the market, because the more traditional route is to start small, prove a concept and build from there. So actually just to think about how could you use reverse that model and use that go big strategy faced. We then talked about the ability to scale a big business without having a massive team if you bring on board good partners. Again, there's this misconception that if you're going to scale a business as you scale, you need to add people. And that doesn't always have to be the way to do it. And lastly, Ella shared a little bit of vulnerability around that she still now has imposter syndrome at times. And it's a really lovely lesson that imposter syndrome can kick in at
2: any level in your journey. No one is immune. Thank you for listening to Misbehave. Follow us so you don't miss out on other episodes.